This is CliffCentral.com. Sonny Bill Williams to Nonu now, and Nonu finds a way through, steps, oh Nonu, my God, score here! Mitchell with a tackle, Nonu! The All Blacks are on their way to a very special place in World Cup history. Absolutely sublime rugby from New Zealand. Inspirational half-time substitution. Sonny Bill Williams, two touches, two offloads. The step from Nonu, but not only that, he is a big unit, but he's got the pace to get over. Phenomenal. Doesn't Sonny Bill Williams make it look easy? Keeps the ball alive. Live Eighth offload by New Zealand. Still none from Australia. That was that. That was the killer blow that Nonu gave the Aussies after half time and which made them World Cup champions. Hey, welcome to it, the final edition of Rugby Central, where obviously the final is the big talking point right here. It was an incredible match, and I um, obviously the game didn't get much closer after that Nonu try. But the thing is, those All Blacks, they just know when to play well and just how to deliver that killer blow. Straight after half time, there it was. The gap got widened. And it was just too much for the Aussies to come back and do. Even though they did get it back to four points, those All Blacks. It's just incredible to see how they can turn a final, a tight, tight final, into a game that they're just going to just waltz through, win in the end, and the final score there, 34-17. So that is it. Rugby World Cup 2015 is done and dusted. And, well, appropriately, the All Blacks have won. And appropriately, they've defended a title, which could be in their hands for quite some time now. These guys seem to have, well, they have the formula. They know what to do. They've got the players, they've got the mindset, they've got the belief, and they've just got this love for rugby and just making rugby something special. Yesterday on Twitter, I said, is this the greatest sporting team in sport? And even though some people objected, obviously, they'll talk about some Brazilian teams in football. They talk about the Australian netball women's team, or should I say women's netball team? They don't especially just be women for a sport. Um Sure, there's been various teams that have really been great. They've done something for their sports. But what the All Blacks are doing right now, I think we all just have to applaud. Referee decisions, uh, all that kind of stuff aside, these guys are super dynamic, super individuals. And then there's all the other stories around them, which is just nothing but positivity. So it's really cool to know that your sport has a front runner like this. And what an amazing advert for the sport it was with them lifting the Webellers Cup for the second time. So... Before I talk myself, talk myself hoarse in an intro, welcome to it, the final episode of Rugby Central. Thanks so much for joining me throughout what has been an amazing tournament. If you look at how this tournament has been attended, there's been almost, I think, 2.5 million, uh, spectators, all the live matches. It definitely helps having these really big stadiums, but the turnout has been amazing. The interest has been incredible. And with that, the TV coverage, this has reached more people than any other Rugby World Cup in the history of the tournament in the sport. And it just means that the sport really is doing so well at the moment. So we'll definitely take your calls if you want to call in uh, or if you just want to chat on WeChat, welcome to it. That's the Cliff Central official account. Send through your messages, anything you want to chat about throughout the day or throughout the hour, so to speak. Uh, if you are listening to this through podcasts, of course, that option is for live listeners only. Or just tweet me at follow the bounce. You can do so any stage, pick up a comment or just a topic you want to chat about. And I'll get back to you then. So that's how we're going to do it today. We're going to just review those last two matches. Of course, the Springboks were in action this final weekend. They had a final of their own kind. The only difference was the prize there was a bronze, blonde, sorry, bronze medal. 
so insignificant I couldn't even say the word. I don't even know if they got medals in the end, but it was the bronze match, as they say, the third and fourth playoff. And, of course, we've got the World Rugby Awards to also discuss. All of that, plus a very informative chat with Matt Rowley, who from Australia will no doubt be a little sad this morning. Although there's absolutely no shame. Those Aussies did so well. There was a massive, massive deficit. I think it was 21-3 at one stage when uh, when Nonu scored that try. Of course, they scored either side of the half. That's what great teams really do. Uh, but the Aussies did come back. They clawed their way back into that match and just showed that this Aussie team is going to be quite something going forward. So we're going to have a very in-depth chat with Matt about that. He is, uh, well, he's my Australian authority. I think if I talk about anything in Australian rugby, it'll definitely be Matt. So along with that, we'll also talk about where to now for the box. Uh, this, we're not even going to touch on the, the Heineken may be coach thing. I think we all heard that enough. Uh, well, it's been flogged to death and it hasn't even happened yet if he does stay on or not. Which is, well, let's just look at the, the positive. Let's look at the team rather. Obviously, the Springboks had quite a few guys who were retiring over the weekend. And, uh, with some, you know, unfortunately with the way sport is going, there's been some amazing, um, amazing careers that we've seen in our lifetime. But with social media, with public outrage, and with just sort of an excess of banter, Guys like, like Victor Matfield, like Brian Banner, they've gone out in clouds that they're not quite deserving, I would say. You know, obviously everyone's been saying that Victor's too old and he shouldn't have come back. But still, he's got, what, 127 caps, I think, for the box. It is quite something. I mean, there's a guy you should be respected for an ever, ever and ever for what he's done for Springbok Rugby. And the same with Banner. Yes, he probably couldn't catch it in his last match here, but still, what an incredible record. And the fact that he was even in a position where he could be challenging the, the likes of John Lomu in a record or something, we've got to really respect these guys and what they've done. Because when we look back in 10, 20, 30 years, you look at their records and look how it stacks up amongst everyone, past and present and following, there still will be legends of this game. So let's not lose sight of that amongst all the uh, ferocity towards creating memes and jokes and all kinds of other things on social media. So that's all agenda for today we're going to go review the two matches so i have to say this out loud so that i make sure i get everything believe it or not the show isn't nearly as well prepped as you might think it is so we're going to review the matches we're going to go through the other headlines we've got a nice big chat to matt riley from australia and then the bok campaign or the bok future going forward and how we should acknowledge that this was indeed a failure but first let's get some of um some views from richard mccall what an amazing guy what an amazing career but did it bow out on the weekend? This is a big question we're asking right now. Richie, captain of the very first team to win back-to-back Rugby World Cups. Is this your proudest moment? Absolutely. Uh, you know, uh, we, we said four years ago when we were after the last one that, uh, you know, we'll get on the road again. And uh, with this being the end goal of playing here at Twickenham in a World Cup final, we'll try and do something no one else has done. And, uh, you know, I'm so proud of the way the guys uh, have done that today. You know, we played some damn good rugby there. We lost a bit of momentum in the second half, but we kept our composure and, you know, we came home strong, which has uh, been a hallmark of this team for the last four years. Tries for Pocock and Kurandrani while Ben Smith was in the bin. They narrowed it to four points. Were you anxious? I wouldn't say anxious. I, I knew that the momentum was against us, and, and, but we've been in those situations before, and it's a matter of not panicking and uh, doing the simple things to get the... I guess get the ball back and uh, get back in control and uh, every man did that again today and you know I've done it a lot of times over the years but to do it when it really counts in a World Cup final um, you know that, that shows the calibre of the men we've got. Richie you said the first time that you became an All Black you didn't want it to end 
After 148 tests and two Rugby World Cups, do you now call it a day? I still don't want it to end, to be honest. Um, look, at the moment, I'm still part of this team. I'm going to enjoy today and, you know, how could you get enough of this? So uh, we'll worry about that after today. I just want to enjoy uh, playing or having played a wonderful World Cup final here with a great bunch of men. And uh, I'm just so proud of being able to wear this jersey again today. And uh, I don't think you ever have enough of it. And uh, if you get moments like this, why would you ever uh, call it a day? That's a maybe then. Many congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Interesting talking point there. Should it be the end? Because that's it. You don't get a bigger moment than this. Richie McCaw, I think, is currently what, 32, 33. Let's just go with his 30, he's, he's, he's in his 30s. Four more years from here, what has Richie got? I tell you what, he might not have a neck. He might not have a spine if he keeps playing rugby. The fact that he's got 148 caps is absolutely staggering. And I, I can't see anyone ever reaching that. I mean, I know Hooper's really young for the Aussies and he's a, he's an open sider. But the wear and tear on your body, no, I don't think any other country can produce a Richie McCall because no one is as smart or professional as the All Blacks. The way they've managed this guy has been brilliant. Richie McCall is the greatest rugby player in the entire world. Just look at everything that he possesses, everything he has achieved. This isn't even a debate. This isn't even a discussion. Richie McCall is the greatest rugby player to ever, ever touch the oval ball. So the All Blacks knew that. New Zealand knew that. So they managed him. So if he had a foot injury or whatever and didn't want to play super rugby, no worries, Richie. You just take some time off. You do what you need to do. We'll see you back for the international season. Can you imagine if that happened in, um, in South African rugby? Can you imagine even Ed Smith going, look, guys, my ankle is not great. It hasn't been for a while. I think I just need a little bit of an extended period. That's a Ivan. <laughs> uh, no, your preseason starts, uh, January. So how about you do that? And then how about you play a super rugby? And then how about you play rugby championship? And then how about you go on end of season tour? And then how about you just never tell, tell us that ever again? Our guys get played to death. They really do. And the style of rugby that we have, oh, no one will ever get 148 caps. Good on you, New Zealand. As, as I said at the start of the show, you're setting really great examples in the sport. And if we could all emulate them in our own way, obviously not copy and mimic completely. If we can all lead by the example shown by these guys and how they, how they manage to do it, it really is quite something. But let's not get into the gushing praise of the All Blacks any further. Uh, let's actually look at the match first. Uh, New Zealand versus Australia. Just have a quick look at the stats. It was a very even and tight game. Now, first up, when people say, the box only lost by two to eventual champions we could have made in the final. I say bullshit straight out. If you look at what happened in that final, okay, yes, the f score was very sort of flattering towards New Zealand. They had the runaway try in the end, 34-17, a 17-point deficit. That's a, that's a bit of a hiding, really. And you look at the all-black SA game, it was 18-20. But the thing is, SA didn't have... The, the the possession and territory that the Aussies had. It was pretty even. I mean, obviously, the All Black shaded them on both counts. But the thing was, it was a contest. It was end-to-end -end stuff. Tries were being scored on both sides. Players were doing things on both sides. It wasn't just attack versus defense. And that really just showed us why it was meant to be the final between the two best teams in the world. And look, penalties, it was a much tighter and closer affair. It was only seven penalties conceded by New Zealand this time. They conceded a lot more against the box. 11 by Australia. In a tight, tight contest, New Zealand managed a staggering 19 clean breaks. 19 clean breaks. That is just so amazing. We started the show with Nanu. 
and how he broke through at the beginning of the second half. Just incredible how these guys can, for all the intensity, they can always just absorb, 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 and they know they can just score like that. Defenders beaten. New Zealand managed 27. 27 defenders beaten in the final. Absolutely amazing. Missed tackles. Just 15. 15 missed tackles. If you want to get a reference on that, the box missed 32 tackles in uh, in their match on Friday. But we'll get to that in a second. Tackles made 114 New Zealand, 117 to Australia. See, so it was a really good final every, every way you look at it. So don't be fooled by that scoreline. It was really, really great. And I think what it does now is that because Australia are back in, I would say, in a really good frame with what Michael Check has got there. And I said this before. I mean, I wouldn't have been surprised if they won that final purely because they've got such a great variety in that team. But you've got something that's really, really tangible going forward now. So the box have a lot to do just to make sure that that rivalry with New Zealand is something that is prestigious and sought after as it is. Because now all of a sudden the Bledisloe Cup becomes a big deal again. Because this Aussie side is pretty good. And we'll touch on more on this with Matt. It's a side, I think, that has a lot to offer and a lot going forward. So the fact they got to this final and the fact that they should put up such a good fight. I mean, they lost Genia through a concussion. There's quite a big story there because with these new laws in place... Of course, they're very, very, um, very strict around the fact that if you can't see three fingers or whatever the test is, then they don't allow you back on. Even if you are fully fit and healthy and you're really raring to go, these laws are in place for a reason. So these guys don't become vegetables later in life. Gitto was apparently frothing at the mouth. He was so upset to not get back on, which was essentially also his final game. I mean, he was, he was brought out of semi-international retirement for this one. He made it all the way to the final. But rules are rules and in place. So Gitto was really, it was distraught with the idea of just being kept off, but he was pretty much concussed. So, uh, good thing for the laws. Um, they also lost, uh, I think it was Douglas, uh, their lock. He basically fell, heartbreak sent his knee and that was the end of him. So the Aussies definitely did have a few setbacks in that match. People were saying that they can get the rub of the green call wise, but still really good effort. Let's just quickly touch on the, uh, oh, sorry, this is what I meant to play another clip. So just on that Aussie thing, uh, no, it's actually leave it for later. Let's get on to that New Zealand, sorry, the Australia versus Argentina match. Now there was a match that we weren't really too excited about. I think the fact that the Argentinians couldn't put a full strength team together was the first sign that this game was not going to be great. The second sign was, well, Heineken Mayer selected the exact same team that basically lost against the All Blacks. There was a team that was pretty much jaded, uh, you know, there was no faith shown whatsoever in the bench. Hanukkah Mayer spoke about the fact that he needed continuity, he needed the best team possible, that he had a great unit, blah, 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 blah. Anyway, it was a limp performance. The box started out so so fresh and so strong in this first few minutes. RG's got a yellow card, so basically open playing field. Let's rack on the points. RG's had to make 10 changes, okay? So if you've got to just think, that team that they picked for the, for the semifinals, that hopeful semifinals they had, that was their best t- side. Take away 10 of those players. That's what the, that's what the box had in front of them for this match. So, bright start, then there was absolutely nothing. The game ended 24-13 to the box, but it was just such a dreadful experience to watch that thing. If you did manage to stay up and watch the whole game, well done. It did end up just past 12. Just look through the stats and how dire this match really was. As we said, 10 changes to the RGs. Meters run, okay? 560 to Argentina. That's pretty good. South Africa, 367. Bear in mind again, playing against a second string team. They were down to 14 men quite early in the piece. 
and they only managed 367 metres run. Defenders beaten. SA beat all of 17 defenders. Argentina, 32. Now, this is where these stats become even more depressing for the box, okay? So that not only were they shaded hugely in metres run and defenders beaten, guess how much possession <laughs> the box managed to actually get in this game? 35%. Territory, they managed all of 37%. Here is a broken team. I know it sounds really doom and gloom on a Monday, and we need to get past this, sure. But if, I mean, if there was no pressure on this match whatsoever. Sure, there was very little at stake. But Victor Matfield said it from the start of the week. Every game you play in a Bok jersey is a special match. But here we are against second-string Argentinian team with 35% of the ball and 35%, 37% of the uh, possession of the territory. 32 missed tackles. 32. There was 195 tackles in all the box had to make because they had no ball. So many different things are going wrong here. Well, uh, I mean, the decision-making was shoddy. Let's just not even talk about execution. Everyone was hoping that Brian Urbanek would score a try, but he could barely catch a ball all game. Andre Pollard's decision-making with ball in hand are becoming more and more questionable. You know, there was a whole thing that he should kick for poles, even though we were 24-8 up, I think, at one stage. So 24-6 up. They went for poles with about 10 minutes to go. Then they went for touch, and Pollard kicked it straight to the wing. It was just a comedy of errors throughout that match, and it really wasn't anything to watch. And then there was the whole bench fiasco. I know Hanukkah Mayer was talking about the fact that Urbana had cramp. Uh, if your players are really cramping up, that also kind of indicates you didn't use your bench particularly well. And then Rudy Page got a token 173 seconds, I think, which was just, it was just embarrassing. Anyway, let's get the thoughts of Heineke Mayer and Victor Matfield after that match. I don't know if you want these thoughts, but let's try to be comprehensive for our one last episode of Rugby Central. So, looking back to the campaign, you know, uh, I don't mean it arrogant, I mean it sincere, that uh, only a win is good enough for me and for ah. my team. Um, but I'm very proud of the way we came back. Uh, you know, I just felt that this team needed one or two more weeks of preparation coming into the tournament, but uh, to turn years. it around... Uh, after our first game, captain been injured. Victor came; he was injured. Florence cocked and brilliantly, and um, you know, been so close right till the end. Even now, it's great to be in this position. But uh, you, can't score you almost feel you could have been in the final. Yeah, those two points could have gone either way. No, it couldn't. But have. Uh, I just feel blessed. I've, uh, uh. It's been a great, amazing journey. And the thing that stands out for me is uh, people back home. You know, uh, I know some negative uh, criticism as well, Warranted. but. Uh, the people that you meet day to day, all the SMSs, it's been amazing how the people support us right till the end. And uh, you can see the full stadium tonight. So there's still a lot to play. So it's been an amazing tournament. I want to thank the organizers, everyone involved. Yeah, I think um, just fantastic. I think, uh, like Coach Heineke said, uh, when he asked me to come back, it was a difficult decision for me. Um, after last week, I was in my room and I thought, eh, was it the right decision or not? But I think... Um, after tonight and after what I've experienced this seven weeks with the Springboks, it was definitely worth it. Um, after the Japan game, something special happened with this team. Um, I've been in a lot of teams when, when the campaign finish, uh, if you're successful or not successful, there isn't a real unity. Um, I think we, we somehow build a brotherhood in this team it's just fantastic and it's something I can use in the, my f in the future. I'm proud of the guys because uh, it was difficult like Vic said to turn it around um, you know it was uh, probably a tougher week than Japan for me because um, 
get the guys up was uh, was tough because uh, we really wanted to win the World Cup for our country. So a lot of tired bodies out there. Uh, it was probably the most animated I was on the mic because everybody was cramping and uh, I knew that uh, they, get, they had a fresh team out there and they will come at us at this last 20. So uh, um, I just felt that uh, Brian was cramping, so it wasn't my call. Um, m most of the backs were cramping and the forwards, so it was like tough decisions and uh, want to put bat at 10 and suddenly Valley started cramping and then suddenly Eon was brilliant moving it around. So, um, you know, Brian came off because he couldn't play further and again, you know, uh, just want to show unity. Every single guy deserved to go onto the field. You're always in the catch between two because you want to give them more game time but you can't play with 14 men because you still have to win the game. So, almost made a mistake putting Pat at 10 because I wanted to give him time for his 50th and then, like I said, Valley got injured and uh, we needed, when Victor was off, Piney was our vice, vice captain, so we needed some structure there. But it was great to see Rudy get a few minutes. Well, hang a second here. So you want to give everyone time, but you can't afford to play with 14 men. Is that your way of saying that some subs are so useless in your mind that they'll even count as players? I, I, I don't get that. I mean, maybe message me on WeChat at, on the Cliff Central account or at my Twitter at Follow the Bounce if you see something different there. What a lot of horseshit. Like, it really is. It's just so frustrating having to see all these other press conferences with, like, decent teams and guys are saying really good things. And it's just the same old tripe from the box and the same old tripe from Hanukkah Mayer. Anyway, uh, again, uh, congrats to, to Victor on a, an amazing career. Um, I think he has just done so much. And obviously, together with Bucky's in his heyday, those two were a formidable, formidable unit. But let's not dwell on that. We're going to end the show by looking forward to the box and how we're going to do in the future. What sort of team we need to look at? Because obviously there's been some big holes now left through various players. We're going to just kind of uh, take as given that some players will retire. Uh, I don't know if they will or they won't. But let's get some thoughts quickly on the Aussie game. Uh, before we get to Matt, we're going to chat to him. We're going to cross to him live on Skype. But let's just get the thoughts quickly of Michael Checker and Aussie captain Stephen Moore after what was really, really a great campaign. And uh, again, um, I'm all in admiration for these guys. And I think they're adding so much more to rugby than, say, the box are right now. And uh, we came real, I think we came pretty close tonight. We swung the momentum back uh, our way, even though the first... Okay, technical, uh, technical difficulty. We'll get back to that. Duncan, have we got Matt on the line? Let's go to him, rather. He's a lot more interesting than me cocking up uh, <laughs> videos. Matt, can you hear us? I can, mate. How are you? Okay, very good. Matt, I'm, I'm probably slightly better than you, I've got to say. Uh, it must have been quite sad watching that <laughs> match on the weekend, but fair to say. Yeah, although I was feeling pretty numb because it was at three in the morning to kick off here. So uh, I was in a bit of a daze when it all happened, but no, it wasn't. It wasn't a great uh, result. It wasn't the one we were looking for. Well, just saying that, okay. Let's not get too much into the aftermath because I'm sure you've analysed it in your head enough and you've done all the reading that kind of stuff. But uh, first things first, do you reckon the ref was a bit more one-sided to the All Blacks? Because I've seen a lot about a lot of that of late. Yeah, uh, well, look, we knew going into the game. Actually, we did some uh, analysis even before the World Cup started uh one of the guys did a whole piece looking at the different refs and how we tend to fare um you know under each of them and actually they wrote a really prescient piece about saying basically if we make it to the final and it happens to be against the all blacks we just want to make sure the person we don't have is nigel owens all right um because uh i mean look just the numbers uh we, we have something like a, like i think i think it was something like a 15 point differential whenever we play under the owens against the all blacks and I don't think it's like a, I don't want to say it's like a deliberate thing. I'm not trying to 
put some sort of conspiracy thing. I think he does a style of refing, which is they say, you know, lets the game go is the kind of the quote that people would use. That's um, the last thing you want to do with Richie. Exactly. <laughs> like, like when you're playing the All Blacks, right, you, they don't need more momentum. Um, and I think that's what he got. So, you know, you saw those, those times in the first half when – yeah, there were knock-ons that weren't being given and, and all those sorts of bits and pieces. And it just means they get a roll on. And look, you know, the All Blacks don't need any invitation, do they? Once they got those phases together and they're getting behind you, you're in all sorts of problems. And I think that's what happened to us. Yeah, technically speaking. But, like, yeah, it's, it's fair enough. It's a fair comment. What, what do you think was the big difference, though, besides, like, just between the two teams in the day? Oh, they just came out. It was the intensity that they could put into that final. Um, you know, we were just knocked backwards. I think, you know, the first two big hits on our first two forward runners and we were going backwards at a rate of knots. Um, and I think that was the big problem. And, and then the other bit was just, you know, how clinical they are. They just, you know, we were making mistakes all over the place and they weren't. Um, you know, our line out f- fell apart. Whereas, you know, all their, you know, their passes were sticking, the kicking game was great. Um, you know, you, you just, one team that, you know, really knew what they were doing and weren't, you know, weren't overawed by the big occasion. In fact, you know, kind of stepped up a notch and then us where we were kind of scrabbling to try and keep at that pace and we just couldn't do it. Yeah, it, it, it was quite frustrating. Obviously, I was cheering on you, your boys. Um, I went, Good on you. I, I went cock on block Aussies by four, mostly because I just couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't bring myself to say what every other person was saying, all blacks by seven. And I, I kind yeah. of, throughout the week, I got myself into a mindset like, you know what? I think, there hasn't been too many upsets in this World Cup. And the, what a better place for an upset than a final. But it was. It was just mm. the, the intensity that the All Blacks have got. So now the big question is, like, can they maintain that? So when you look at the fact that they were the first team to ever win it for the third time, first team to ever like defend it, do you see any let-up even though, well, we McCall might not be retiring now. I think he should finish. But, um, <laughs> I mean, do you see any sort of slackening with these guys going forward now? Yeah, look, I, I've always thought that when, you know, McCaw, I mean, there's, again, if you look at the stats uh, of when McCaw doesn't play for the All Blacks, um, and there's a notable, noticeable drop-off, I mean, it hasn't been that much recently, unfortunately, but when, when either he and or Dan Carter aren't there, the numbers really drop, and I, you know, and I, and I think uh, there's obvious reasons why. I think so much of that team now has grown up with him as the captain, right? I mean, the guy's now 34. I can't imagine him doing next World Cup at 38, so... Um, I think there's some talk maybe you'll try and stick around for the Lions. But, um, yeah, I think once he goes, you'll see a massive – I think we should – well, I hope uh, we'll see a massive change there because I just think he plays such a leadership role for them. And um, I remember a few games a few years ago when he wasn't playing and they just suddenly don't look nearly so, you know, organised or purposeful. Sure. And so that's probably the biggest chink, chink in the armour we can all pray for. Well, yeah, and then suddenly the refs feel a bit more pressure to actually not let the game go as much. But it's it's <laughs> it's an interesting kind of thing as well. Like every coach, what they would love so much is a guy without many caps. I mean, look at Heineken Mayer. Victor Matfield's 73 and he's still playing. You know, you, some coaches want to really yeah. have that and they can harness that because it's like having any, any position of leadership obviously does great things for great teams. So take him away. Um, any suggestions on the next uh, next captain? Is any obvious kind of suggestion? Well, isn't it Kieran Reid? I think probably walks straight in there. Um, and uh, he's he's only thirty, so I mean, you know, he's probably he could probably take him to the next World Cup. I think he's an automatic selection for them. Um, so um, yeah, and I think he's done some cap. You know, I think he's taken on that captaincy role, role a few times. So mm. I'd be surprised if he didn't take it. And then Sam Kane is a positional straight swap. 
for McCaw, yeah, yeah, it, it, it looks like that. That you know, you saw him kind of slowly trying to sneak him in, but you know, you kind of um, you feel sorry for any bugger who's going to try and walk into those shoes, don't you? Yeah, completely. It's like trying to replace Jacques Callis in cricket. But anyway, let's get back to your blokes. Mm. Um, that team, uh, we spoke about it a few weeks ago right here in the show, and I was saying it's it's got something quite special, I think, going forward. Now, if you were to look at who's retiring, it's basically Gitto. Is he going to be out now? There's Gitto. I think and, so. Yeah, it looks like that. And then, and then what else? I mean, the team pretty much stays. Yeah, I mean, you had some of the latecomers. Um, Drew Mitchell's probably got a question mark. Um, maybe Adam Ashley Cooper uh, okay. have got a question mark over there as well. I think Will Genia, uh, he's probably, we know he's disappearing off to France. I mean, the bigger question is we've got all these guys who are now going to France, you know, for at least a season or two. Mm. Um, and we've changed, you know, one of the big changes that Checker made was making it so that these guys could actually come back because they've, if they've played enough, if they've got 60 uh, caps, I think it is, then they can come back. Um, and so, uh, yeah, there's a bunch of guys who are going to be going, including Sakopi Kapu. Yeah. who um, I think said some words to the effect of wasn't sure if that was going to be his last test match for the Wallabies, which would be a big loss for us, having just found a prop uh, who's truly international standard. Um, so, yeah, I think he'd be a big loss. But I don't think – I mean, he's still a young guy. I mean, he, sh- he should be around for the next World Cup. And, you know, as we both know, props go on forever. So, um, you know, he's another guy. I mean, you know, there's, there's probably a few other people around the edges. But it, I think that you, if your point is it's a largely a pretty young team, it is. I mean, you know, David Pocock's only 27, for example. I find that absolutely incredible. I mean, obviously, you're at Hooper's 24, 23. Yeah, mm, so yeah exactly. So we've got a very interesting... Now, finally, Super Rugby, in my opinion, becomes relevant again because now we've got almost like a transitional all-black team when you think of a couple of things that are going to change there. Now you've got the Aussies with international belief again, which is a great, great thing. But then not, now you've got the box with so much to prove. So just looking at your your, your backline, okay, so potentially Genia is going to, be, going to be gone. Now I've got to milk you for as much insights as I know now Then I could be a super, like super intelligent kind of super rugby. Is Nick Phipps really the second one? Is he, is he really the guy to come through? Uh, look, I have a, I mean, you know, Nick Phipps has been playing at the Waratahs, which is the team, you know, which is the Sydney, you know, New South Wales team, which yeah. is the one I support. So I've been, I, know, I watched a lot of him. I think he's really integral. I mean, he's, yes, is he, did, well, is he missing a couple of skill sets that you'd probably like to have in a, um, in a nine? Yeah, like he doesn't really have a kicking game. Mm. Uh, and, you know, his, his running game is, isn't his first thought. I mean, really what he does is just keep incredible pace on the ball, just, you know, just to clear it. And he is very, very good in cover defense and works. I mean, you know, puts a lot of work in. So I don't know. I think probably why we saw Will Genia step back into the first role is because of those other skill sets he does have, which is, you know, he's more of a kicking game. Um, and in, well, I don't think we saw a lot of it in the World Cup, but in, in his heyday, he had a, a running game as well. Yeah. Um, and you know, whereas Phipps was missing those things. So, look, is your question, you know, is Phipps really going to be an international level, test level nine? Mm, good question. But I think at super level, he'll still do well. And like, you know, the whole sort of Waratah's game plan really rested on him and that pace that he puts on the ball. So I think he'll continue to deliver at that level. Well, it'll be, it'll be convenient if he does, because then you've got Foley outside of him, also Waratah. Then you've got Beal, who, in many ways, you know, you think if he can become the next great 12 for you, for you guys, that's a pretty strong core backline that's always going to be together because of franchise level. Mm. 
You know, definitely. And and then you've got Falau, I'm assuming he stays at the Waratahs as well. So, yeah. you know, having having those guys connected, a, 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 you know, across a, a franchise is a, is a pretty good thing. Yeah, it's it's interesting because obviously Checo was the ex-Waratahs um, Waratahs coach and having that sort of foundation is a really good thing. So, Bledisloe Cup, what are, your, what are your sort of hopes on that one just off the bat here? Is, it, is the World Cup going to give you more belief around that now? I think so, for sure. I mean... You know, the, the whole tone in my website over the last day or so, it was interesting. I was waiting to see what sort of happened. Would it all be doom and gloom? But actually, if anything, I think it's most people sort of taking their hats off and saying, no one thought we were going to be here a year ago. I mean, we were sixth in the world. Yeah, exactly. Uh, lost three out, three out of four, um, you know, in, in our uh, end of season tour last year. Uh, and it was just a mess. And so to kind of turn that around and get us to where we are and make some of the massive changes that, that Czech has made, I think everyone's feeling that it's at least heading in the right direction. As you mentioned at the top of this interview, you know, maybe a few key guys move away from the All Blacks. I think we've got a better chance than we've had for a long time. And you're right, for us, that Bledisloe Cup is, you know, fine. You know, we have to wait another four years for the next World Cup. But for us, the Bledisloe Cup is just around the corner. Um, and we'd be doing the world a favor if we can start to make the Kiwis second guess themselves a bit. Yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm all for that. Uh, any any potential weakness you think needs to be plugged between now and then? Uh, look, you know, <laughs> I think uh, second row is um, you know somewhere where you guys seem to grow these fellas on trees. Um, we kind of we struggle a little bit. Uh, we managed to get Kane Douglas back. Um, I thought um, Simmons had his best series of matches for a long time. But then there's a bit of a gap. You know, there isn't a lot, you know, there's not an obvious then kind of international level set of locks yeah. and definitely not for lineup. Um, and we saw that again. You know, you, you can't you can't play a high-pressure test match without a lineout. You guys sure. have known that for a long time and uh, we keep falling for that. So that is most definitely probably our sorest spot. Um, some of our props are starting to age a little bit, not, it's not maybe not age, but you know, you know, a few injuries here and there, um, and they've become a source of strength of us just over this last season. So I think that tight five, um, you know, you won't be surprised to hear an Aussie saying we need to <laughs> beef up our tight five. Yeah, well, Matt, I, I believe it's it's a rugby force on the rise, and you know, with Checker getting that coach of the year again, sort of just re- reaffirms the fact that there's so many good things going on there. Mm. Um, well, in- yep. Well, I was just going to say with on the on the Checker thing, you know, I don't know that whole Napoleon quote of, you know, bring me lucky, lucky generals, um, you know, just seems to be him. And I'm sure it's, it's definitely not luck. You know, it's it's clearly a lot of skill and work that he puts in. But, uh, the, you know, if you look at the guy's career, it's just it's quite amazing, isn't it, as far as, you know, the trajectory. Um, and, you know, to be, you know, at one stage, four points within a World Cup final um, is uh, quite amazing. Yeah, with momentum is a very interesting kind of um – kind of stage in the game there but before i let you go i just wanted to ask a question that because i think we're in south africa right now it's becoming quite difficult to really enjoy rugby that limp <laughs> that limp fisted horrible game on friday aside it's i think we've become so um tunnel vision towards the fact that we don't like hana Khmer, we hate the way the rugby's being played from an outsider mm-hmm. kind of perspective what, what, what's your take on the current box situation after this what i believe is a failed campaign yeah, you know, I was really surprised this year. Um, only a year or two ago, we were all sat here going, oh, my God, Haino Kamei is doing an amazing job. You know, you guys were playing some much more dynamic rugby. Um, you know, have got, you know, had quite an amazing kind of back row 
second row um, stocks, you know, and that was when Victor wasn't even back on the scene, um, you know, and, and then, you you know, had these backs who were then suddenly starting to, to shine and you were starting to put some big points, you know, like when you absolutely killed us only a, um, a couple of seasons ago. So, you know, I thought you guys were really heading the right direction and I think we were all surprised that it was under Mayer's tutelage, right? Um, and then this year, I'm not sure what happened. It seemed to be, I mean, um, Robbie Deans did the same thing going to the 2011 World Cup. I don't know if you remember. I mean, at one stage, they were, you know, scoring lots of points, even yeah. beating the All Blacks. He saw a World Cup around the corner and he seemed to just kind of, I don't know, lose his nerve and kind of go back to old players and, and play a really conservative style. And it, and it looked to me that that's what Mayer maybe did. Um, so, I mean, you know, I don't know if that's just a state of mind he got into and he can get out of it. I, I don't know, because at one stage I thought you guys were really going to tear us all another one. Yeah, it's kind of, it's one of the many frustrations, you know, Annika Mayer, I played a clip just now and he was talking about if they had just a couple more weeks preparation before the World Cup. But I just think he made some really bad calls player-wise and the fact that he did go back into his shell completely because he had he had freedom to do things, right? And freedom plus mm. skills, suddenly we were. I mean, we beat the Argies by 70 points in one of those games. I, mean, I don't know if it's a yeah. fair, fair reflection to kind of reference that, but the whole thing was there was a killer instinct and there was desire to run. Even seen this year against New Zealand at Ellis Park in that first half at the very least. I mean, we lost that one 27-20, but there seemed to be a desire to play some kind of rugby. So I just believe the guy's got limited vision. You know, there's obviously qualities there. You don't become a super rugby uh, winning coach for nothing. But it's just so frustrating to know they've gone back. But, you know, it's kind of, I kind of feel better when you say that Robbie Dean's did the same with your guys. So maybe, <laughs> maybe there is hope. But then again, um, we're about to see an absolute shitstorm now with, with politics uh, rearing its ugly head. So it'll be interesting to see if the, if the box can be competitive for the next year because Heineken May is probably going to get another four years. There's no logic right. to suggest it, but it's going to happen. With that, you've got then uh, transformation things that need to be addressed here. So um, maybe that's why I'm actually kind of watching your team right now. Anyway, Matt, <laughs> where where can we find more of you on the internet in the aftermath of what has been a great World Cup? Uh, well, you can always go to greenandgoldrugby.com. Um, you guys, I don't know those words, but it is actually an Aussie website. Um, or if you want to, people want to talk to me directly, I'm at Matt Rowley on Twitter. Cool, Matt. Thanks so much. Really great having you on as always. We're going to play Matt out with just the, the, the clip I was trying to put earlier, the thoughts of Michael Checker and Stephen Moore, which is um, pretty frank. You know, you expect nothing less from the Aussies, so we're going to play out with that one right now. Thanks a lot, Matt. Chat soon, bud. Thanks, Ben. Bye. And, uh, and when you look up and you see that you haven't done that, that's when it's painful, you know, and you've got to eat it up. Did you just leave yourself with too much to do in that second half in the end? Uh, no, I don't think so. Like... It was a couple of few penalties, and then they got the score just before half time. They're very good, you know, before and after half time. They got the tries. But no, I felt that uh, 40 minutes was enough time. Even after they scored, 30 minutes, 35 minutes was enough time for us to claw our way back into the contest and change the momentum of the game, which we did. You know, it was 21 17. Um, with, uh, how, I don't even know how long it was to go. And then uh, even when it got seven points behind, uh, you know, you get a try there, you can put take the game into extra time where you've still got time to... So we're right back in the hunt, you know, in the second half. And I thought we should, we could have easily gone home then. You know, everyone would have been happy. We had a good campaign and we could have easily said, OK, we're, we're sweet. But the, the heart and the, the courage in the team, I believe it's been built in this team and will, will last us going forward, was one that they didn't want to do that and they wanted to stay in the battle till the end, and which I thought we did.
Michael, uh, what did you say to the players uh, at full time and is the next goal uh, reclaiming the blood is low looking ahead next year? Oh, I think uh, at full time, when you're, when you're, the first thing is you've got to, uh, you've got to go and acknowledge your opponent um, and, you know, congratulate them. It's the way it is. You know, you, you want to have a war on the field and when you get off the field, you've got to be, uh, you've got to respect your opponent for what he's done. And then in the dressing room, really, we just spoke about, um, maybe not the rugby matters, more the personal matters, the things that we've worked on as um, as a group of people to, to improve in our own, you know, the way we are and and how we how we do things and, and the effect we can have on others and within the, our own community and rugby in Australia and all that stuff and some of the bigger picture things. But I I, I was I've been very very proud of the the team I really have you know there's not much more I could have asked them to do and uh, we came real I think we came pretty close tonight we swung the momentum back our way even though the first half didn't go our way and and um you know bounce the ball here or there a call here or there and it could have been uh it could have been a bit closer and the reason I'm playing these clips and so many of them and I've still got uh, Steve Hansen to play for before the end of the show is that it's nice to hear what these really good teams are talking about and how they're feeling about these matches this World Cup really has been incredible and I think it's taught us a lot about where world rugby is right now. It's in a great place. It really is. And uh, I reckon the Aussies are going somewhere. I think they've finally got that right mix. They've been up and down. There's been, obviously, the trailer park trash culture that uh, Quade Cooper and the likes brought in. They've weeded that element out now, which is good. They've got some really good players. They've got some good leadership. And, uh, again, they were full credit for getting to that final. Just quickly get into the World Rugby Awards. This always sort of takes place, um, at the end of the, end of the tournament, which is kind of fitting because everyone's kind of there so they can have one big bash. Team of the Year. Well, obviously, that's New Zealand. Player of the Year. Obviously, obviously, Dan Carter. Wow. How incredible was he in that final? Now, here's a guy who's won the World Rugby Champion, World Rugby Player of the Year Award, uh, three times. The first time he won it was, uh, I, correct me if I'm wrong here, 2003, okay? He's now won it 2015. That means that his entire career, he's basically been the best flower in the world. Yes, there has been some dips, but how incredible that you can do that. He's played over 110 caps, I think. He averages just over 14 points a game. Now, consider New Zealand's opponents, okay? They're playing tight matches here and there against the Springboks, good games against Australia. They're in World Cup pressure situations, over 14 points a game for Dan Carter. It was just, it was that, that final that his career deserved. The drop kick, the effortless penalties. He just controlled everything. Tactical kicking was superb. Everything about that final was amazing. And he did get mad at the match. So, so it's, it was something to watch. And something as a neutral, you can't help but just go back and say, it's great that I got to see the greatest flower that ever played rugby in his prime. And obviously bowing out on a high as well. Coach of the year, that was Michael Checkers, who just mentioned, the Aussie guy, good for him. Try of the year, it was when Julian Sevier decided to run through most of the limp French team and just hurting them and just like just breaking their spirits forever. Breakthrough player of the year, no surprises here, Nehem Mulnaskada. He was immense in Super Rugby for the Hurricanes. I mean, what he was doing with ball in hand, you never heard of this guy. He was just another sort of scruffy <laughs> outside back they just threw in the mix. But wow. And the fact is, he translated that to international level. And there we have Breakthrough Player of the Year. Uh, I don't know too much about women's rugby, so let's move around from there. Uh, South African did get an award last night, which is great. It was the Men's Sevens Player of the Year, and that was Werner Koch. So we did get someone in there. But seeing as we are going to end off with the Springboks, something I really want to chat about is where to now for the box. And we're not going to talk about 
um, Heineken Mayer. We've had enough to chat about him, and uh, I think you deserve better as far as listening <laughs> listening potential goes. So we've got a pretty good team. There's no doubt about that. I still believe we've got the players. and uh, There's always that debate. We haven't got the players to play like New Zealand. I don't believe so. I don't think we've got the belief. I don't think we've got the right coaching. I just don't think we've got the, 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 the history of wanting to do different things. Get rid of all that. Try change all of that in a bigger picture setting. I think we've got fantastic players. I think we've got players that can definitely get back to the top of the world. But there's a lot of ifs, a lot of buts. But let's just get to the team, right? Looking forward from here on in, if the box were to play the next match, which will be next year sometime, probably uh, August after that incredibly long Super Rugby uh, thing. Fullback, we've got Valiru. I think the guy's still a great player, confidence player, of course, and it was a bit down during the World Cup, but we've got a great player there. Right wing, we need to get rid of JP Peterson. I think his career has come to a long and illustrious end. Again, superb player. The guy has got a World Cup winner's medal. He did really well. He punched above his, his weight and form, I believe, in this last World Cup. Good for him. But now we need to look at absolute out-and-out pace. That's what we need from our wings, because if you look at New Zealand's game, and it's impossible not to reference these guys. How they use their outside backs is the difference between being good and absolutely spectacular. They, of course, are the latter. And you've got guys like Sevilla coming through and playing a lot in all these matches. You've got Nehem Scudder. You've got Naholo, who's going to be in the in the wings as well. Then you've, of course, got Ben Smith. And you've got a guy like Israel Day can't even make the squad. They've got so many great outside backs. And there's pace and there's attacking flair. We need to bring that back. We need to look at guys who are doing really well in the sevens. We need to look at the guys who've done well just... Game breakers here, you know. Cornell Hendricks. There was a guy who did so well when he started off with the box. Yes, there were some frailties concerning his defense. They think he wasn't good enough under the high ball, which didn't really make him a candidate for the heavy conditions of the World Cup. But we need to bring him back. He, I know he's a Stormers player, so he's going to be in the mix there. But we need to look at guys like this, and this is the future for Springbok Wings. Same with Sibela Snatler. There was a guy who has been setting the seventh scene on fire for so long now. A ridiculous pace, awareness, uh, real carefree flair. Also in the Stormers, had a decent Super Rugby campaign back in the, into the Curry Cup as well. These are the guys we need to look for as wings. We need to be able to say that, right, we don't ever gonna, we're not ever gonna have the same game as the All Blacks, but we need attacking flair. And look at those two guys alone, just to kind of look at the right wing position. We need to kind of focus on that. Outside center-wise, well, I think first and foremost, we need to pick an outside center. There's been too many guys that have had the number 13 in the back for the, for the box. Ever since Shark Free kind of bowed out, there's been all kinds of experimentation there. Fullbacks going in there, wings going in there, inside centers mostly just going in there to shore things up on defense. We need to look at out-and-out outside centers. Jesse Creel, obviously, is the incumbent. And there's a lot of faith being put in him and his development. But we can't discredit anymore guys like Jean de Jong. We need to look at skill set. Again, going back to that all-black model, we need to look at beating guys with pace and skill and guile, along with the fact they need to be physically strong. So we can't discredit someone just because he's not 6'3 and weighs 110. We need guys who are going to create that outside gap. who are going to link well with the outside backs. And on good primary first-phase position, can do something out wide. Number 12, I think we've never got a problem with number 12 in this country. We seem to have lots of those because that is the flank of the back line and we have lots of flanks. Damien Dallander, this guy can only go one way and I think he is a precious resource that we need to look to do a lot of things around in this country. And if he doesn't work out well, Jan Serfentain, you know, there was always Jan Serfentain. He had a massive career ahead of him. Uh, he was meant to be, well, kind of number 12 for this when you really think of a couple of years back when he was starting for the box. We can't discredit the talents. We've got to develop and nurture them. 
and it's got to be in a game plan where the ball does the work. It's none of the shoulder into, into your opponent stuff. This is how we need to look at it, and we do have the players. Loazio Volvo, I think he's done nothing wrong in the box jersey. He needs an extended run now, and if a band is not going to play, well, I really just think that we should go have a new era and get someone like Loazio into number 11 and make this, give him a good run. I think there's a spectacular player there who's always been in the squad, but he's been kind of just doing nothing with it. He's never been given the right opportunities. I think he's done well in the options he has had. He's never going to be the wing that Habano uh, was, but he's definitely different. And getting back to the other argument that we need very, very, very strong and charismatic guys that can create things when the opportunities do come their way. Number 10, again, I think we're in a really good spot here. Andre Pollard might not have had the best World Cup, but he still scored lots of points and he was still better than he was worse in certain situations. I think Heineken may have put a lot of faith in him, but I think maybe there shouldn't be too much security and safety around position as well. We need to know that Pat Lamby is going to get all the kind of opportunities selection-wise that Pollard would. And I think between the two of them, we can have a very healthy rivalry. I think it's been it's been shown in in great teams prior to this. I mean, look at Dan Carter. Cruden suddenly became the first choice guy, and if he wasn't sleeping the hookers on the way out uh, on a tour one year, uh, he might have actually been there. But you know, you need competition. It needs to be very healthy, and the coach needs to give the impression that you always got a spot in this team if you play well enough, and you know that selection will be will be warranted. So Pat Lambie is a ten. I don't think he's a fifteen. We should let that one go right now. Given full opportunity to be number 10, and then between him and Pollard, we've got a great, great future at number 10. I think Pat Lambie is so young. Pollard's even younger, like way younger. This is how good it is right now. So we've got to look at these positives because I think we've got great players. Looking at that number 9, Rudy Page went to the World Cup, so there's no way we can't look at him in the future. I mean, whatever motive was behind that and giving him these token two minutes like Heineke did, this guy is the future. Simple as that. So is Kubis Reinach. So is Fafta Kluck. We've got to look at these players and we've got to look at what they can do in a Bok team that's going to go forward. And I think those last two as well have proven themselves slightly longer than Rudy Page in uh, obviously franchise level. But there we go. We've got three scrum offs. Maybe you can add a few more names to that list if you look far and wide. But there, there's three. It's a great call. It's everything we need. Number eight, Dwayne from Milan. We need the next Dwayne because Dwayne's obviously going to be our first choice and he is great and he has been great. We need that second guy. We need to start developing eighth men. Again, in the sort of mold of Kieran Reed. this guy can play the ball. He's hell of a strong in defense, line of option, all of those things. And number eight is a pivotal position in a really good rugby team. Blindside lock, we've got to look at Villamelos, got to look at Sia Colisi. We've got lots of players here. Opa Mojo as well. He was given the chance to kind of come through, develop these talents, get them coming through. The big problem, I think, with our loose, loose forwards, even though we do have lots of them, is the specialist, sorry, specialist fetcher role. Look at Aussies. Look at the, the All Blacks. It is a key position, no matter what conditions you're playing, whether it's a wet, heavy field or it's fast and running hard. We need a specialist number six, open side flanker. Francois Lowe, I think, no one is given him the credit he deserves for that World Cup. He was superb throughout. I think he ended up as the joint second most tackles, but he was there getting the turnovers. He was there slowing the ball down for the, against the opposition. He's a, he's a fantastic player. Overseas based. We need someone else. Is Jaku Creel the guy that's going to come and support that? Is there still life in Henrik Bissot? All of these things we need to develop because I still believe, as I said before, on numerous occasions, we do have those players. In the locks, again, we're not looking too bad. Not looking too bad at all. Lutu Yaga in many ways, was the number five of the tournament. People have been picking him as that, as that guy. Obviously a massive void after the Bucky's Matfield um, era, 
but we've got such great players. We've got like the newer versions of them because Lutu Yaga is huge and he does so much. He's great with ball in hand, carries the ball strongly, amazing defense, joint leading tackler in the World Cup. And of course, lineouts. The guy's got real ability. He's got real presence and maturity for a young guy. And again, it's youth. You know, we've got so much of it in key positions here. Peter Steptoy, he's going to be partnering with Ibn Etzebeth now at the Stormers. We've got to develop this guy. There's youth and there's ability and there's raw size. You know, Matt Riley from Australia now, which is saying they need to beef up their tight five. We don't need to. We've got beef in reserve here. And to know that you've got that in the locks is so key, so crucial because there you've got the line out and an open play. These guys are absolute dynamite. Even Elizabeth, again, he's just showing he's getting stronger and better. He's a senior member of the team and he's in his mid-twenties. He's an amazing asset and I think any team in the world would want a guy like that. Then Taito Prop, it's not looking so bad. I think Franz Malherbe has come through really nicely. Again, Vincent Koch is understudy at the Stormers. Decent Super Open campaign. He had one dodgy 40 minutes against the RGs. Who can blame him? I mean, it's a very difficult school against Argentina. Two guys, you know. Sure, Yanni Duplessis is probably gone now. We develop another sort of tight head. Tight heads need to be, de- need to be developed so that we know that we can always anchor our scrum because it's a, it's a key. We got our scrums right. We got our lineups right. We can then have the freedom to get these backs running more, which is what we all want. Hooker-wise, well, um, to Benny from the Stormers, um, Mbanambi from the Stormers. We've got developing young hookers as well, which is really great. And then you've got Adrian Strauss, who I think will return back to the Bulls. Uh, good players, you know, really good players. Strong, abrasive, skillful, and of course, offering a lot of scrum time and an open play. And then loose head prop. We've got Trevor Yunakani and the Beast Tendai and Tarua. Those are two really good options. Then from there, take your pick. There's so many other guys that could play in that. We've got Steven Kitsoff. I know he's going to be uh, foreign-based. Good player, though. We do have the players. I think we can take out one thing from this World Cup. We certainly, certainly have the players. We just need now a coach that can then really back the back their systems, have a real bit of belief, have a good coaching staff, and I don't think we're too far away again. So, yes, we can all gush glowingly about how amazing the All Blacks are, how the Aussies are an emerging force, but it's not dead with the Springboks. We're not far out of this. We're still in the game, but we've got to make some very, very wise and sort of forward-thinking decisions from here on in. <sighs> I think I've had enough of my chest today. I think I've given hopefully enough information to make this a fitting end to the World Cup. Thank you so much for joining me throughout here on Rugby Central. We'll be taking the show further, and as of next year, the Bounce show will basically be all-encompassing with all sports. I must leave you here right now. Going to play out, uh, no, I think I saw the clips done right now. Basically, Steve Hansen said that uh, Ricky, um, Richie McCaw is the best All Black of all time. None of us are ever going to compete with that. So that is it. If you didn't catch all of it, Rugby Central podcast, cliffcentral.ca.za. Thank you so much for joining us. And ultimately, go Booker, I think is what we should always take out of this. Uh, well done, New Zealand. This is cliffcentral.com.